Welcome to the South Coast Christian Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom Westerfield. On behalf of myself and our entire staff, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope this message uplifts and encourages you this week. If you're with us, if you're new with us today, I want to welcome you. But we're in a sermon series entitled "Jesus Said," and uh, we're, we are studying some of the famous parables of Jesus. I think this is our sixth week or seventh week in this uh, uh, series called "Jesus Said." Jesus used parables to share truths. They were fictitious stories, short stories, that would share a deeper truth, behind, um, a meaning that he was trying to bring about. He would bring it about like an illustration. But many times the parables had a deeper truth. And each week our goal is to discover the truth behind the words that Jesus said. Today we're going to examine a parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And you can find this parable, it's in the Gospel of Luke chapter 18. And I encourage you, if you have your Bibles here today, or if you have it on your iPhone or your iPad, uh, just go ahead and, or your smartphone for all those that don't have an iPhone and you have the Android, don't want to leave anybody out. Uh, I encourage you to go ahead and open that up uh, to Luke chapter 18, and just keep it open because I'm going to be referencing this parable back and forth, and you can look at it uh, while I'm preaching. I think you will, it will help bring it more to life to you as well. Um, just a little background to the story. In this parable, Jesus uses two characters. Uh, the first character that he shares about is a Pharisee. And a Pharisee is a Jewish religious leader during the time of Christ. And they were kind of the rabbis or the teachers of that day. And they were the teachers of a religious party. There was Pharisees, there were Sadducees, there were Zealots. And, and the Pharisees were a religious party. They were highly re re respected by the Jewish people. They were viewed as godly leaders of the day. They were, they were very respected. They were not looked down upon at all. And as you read through the Gospels, you'll discover that the majority... This is something that's important to understand, that the majority of the Pharisees actually opposed the teachings of Jesus. They were not for Christ, they were against Christ. Because Jesus was bringing in this new paradigm, this new revelation, and they were not ready to accept that. They had gotten used to their law, they had gotten used to their ways, they didn't want anyone coming in and changing that. And Jesus is bringing in a new story, a new story of redemption. And so this was the whole, this was the whole battle during Jesus' lifetime with the Pharisees. The second character that Jesus introduces into his parable is a tax collector. And a tax collector was kind of like an independent contractor that the Roman government hired. They were independent contractors the Roman government hired to collect taxes from the people. And uh, they're during, during Jesus' day, the taxes were very high. Uh, there were both uh, income tax and there was also what was called a duty tax because a lot of the things that were happening in those days that you would barter, you would trade goods for goods and you'd have to pay taxes on your trade. The taxes by the Roman government were a huge burden upon the people of the day because they not just taxed the rich, they really taxed the poor very heavily as well. So it was a huge burden and to make matters worse, many tax collectors were dishonest. Can you imagine that you don't, you literally have a person that comes by and he's just collecting taxes so they could extort money from you. This is why tax collectors, if you read through the scripture, you'll discover that tax collectors were despised and looked down upon, especially if they were Jewish tax, tax collectors. Because Jewish tax collectors were really betraying their very own people. They were actually collecting taxes from the Jewish people and it was just really looked, they were the worst of sinners in the eyes 
of the Pharisees in the eyes of the people. So these are the two personalities that Jesus chooses to lead the characters in this parable. And when Jesus, if you can imagine as he's standing there, he's starting to teach, he's starting to share, just the words that Jesus used in one sentence where all of a sudden he would use the word Pharisee and he'd use the word tax collector in one sentence, immediately everybody's ears would have perked up because you wouldn't use those two characters in one sentence. But Jesus does. This was a story of contrast. It was a story where opposites are about ready to collide. And I want to share that story with you today. It's found in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Let me read the parable to you. Then Jesus told this story to some who, were, who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters and sinners and adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of my, of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, I am a sinner. I tell you, this is Jesus' words, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word today. Your word brings light and truth into our hearts and into our lives. I pray, God, that your word today will become revelation for each and every one of us, that we will be able to take away truth from there. That is going to be life-changing for each and every one of us, Lord. Thank you, God, that you're going to do the supernatural day in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. The first thought that I want, to, I want you to take away from this parable is that self-righteousness is a roadblock to righteousness. Self-righteousness is a roadblock to righteousness. This was a major concern that Jesus had for the people of his day. Because we know this because Jesus taught on this topic on a regular basis about not being self-righteous. The Pharisees were so caught up in the law and their goodness in the law that they become deceived by their own self-righteousness. Self-righteousness, if you need a definition for it, it's choosing to put greater confidence in yourself than putting confidence in God. And in God's ability. You're putting confidence in your own ability, saying that you can run your life better than God can in, with his direction, instead of putting confidence in God's ability. Let me, let me put it this way. It would be like me trying to compare myself to the intelligence of a, of a, in the area of math and science with Albert Einstein. Can you see Pastor Tom trying to compare himself to the intelligence of Albert, Albert Einstein who understands math and science, there's no way. There's no comparison. Albert Einstein was considered a genius. I am not. Okay, follow along. God is perfect. I am not. My, God is holy. I am not. Through the righteousness of Christ I am, but not through my own, my, my own ability. My holiness can never measure up to the standards that God requires. My goodness or holiness on its own merit will never be accepted by God. 
I cannot choose to put my trust in myself. I must choose to put my trust in Jesus Christ and his righteousness and his work on the cross for my sins. That's where my faith must be. If it's anything upon me, guess what? I am going to fail. Jesus is sharing this parable towards those who were self-righteous, to those who believed that their own righteousness was the key to entering into the kingdom of heaven. Notice the Pharisee's prayer. There is no mention of confession in his prayer. There is no consideration of wrong. The only confession that is made is for the wrong of others. It's an interesting prayer. This is not the Lord's prayer. This is not one that I want you to memorize and start repeating every No, this is not that prayer. The only confession that is made is for the wrong of others. I'm sorry, Lord, that you have to see all the sins of these people that are around me. You know, I'm sorry, Lord, that you have to see that tax collector and that, that person that committed adultery over there. And, and he's pointing out all the sins of everybody else and never points anything back at himself. This is the deception of self-righteousness. Notice that the Pharisee's gratitude, the Pharisee that's, in this, that's saying this prayer, his gratitude is not heavenward. It, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not towards the qualities of God. It's not towards the, the qualities or the attributes of God. His gratitude is directed towards his own qualities and his own good works. Again, it's the deception of being self-righteous. Catch this thought. I want you to tune into this one. Self-righteousness will always rob you of the power of God's righteousness. It will interfere with what God desires to do in and through your life. And we all, every one of us at times in our life will struggle with self-righteousness. We do. We can get so caught up with what we see in others that we completely miss what God is trying to do in and through us. The Pharisee was pointing out all the wrongs of everybody else in the room. And they, all of a sudden he's missing completely what God was trying to do in his heart and in his life. He's a perfect example because all of a sudden he's missing out on the righteousness of God because he'd become blinded to the truth. The Pharisees in that day when Jesus was walking this earth, guess what? They had the truth standing right in front of them and they couldn't recognize Jesus. Can you imagine you and me being able to walk with Jesus, see Jesus, and we don't even recognize that it's Jesus? That's where the Pharisees are at in this whole story is that they don't even recognize that the Son of God is standing before them. Look at the prayer of the Pharisee. Instead of exalting God, he ends up exalting himself. I love this prayer. I mean, I don't love it, but you know what I'm saying. He says, I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. Like, that, like God loves him more than he loves anybody else. That, that he is the favored child. That he, he is more special than anybody else in the room. Have you ever thanked God that you are not in someone else's circumstances. God, I'm so grateful that I'm not, that's not happening to me. Isn't that kind of arrogant? Yeah, yeah. To be able to say that prayer, like, God, thank you that it's not taking place in my... And sometimes we're saying out of gratitude and thank that God's blessing. But when we say that, it's kind of an arrogance that all of a sudden God loves me more than he loves that person. Think about it for a minute. It'll come to you. Whew, there you go. Why even make such a statement? Why not just slow down enough and just pray for the person? That's what God wants us to do, is to pray for the other person that's in need. Sometimes I believe we have this thought that we can earn God's love, which translates that God loves me because of what I do. Now, I want you to catch that because I think we all struggle with that. 
In fact, the worst of all the worst are pastors. The worst of the worst is the religious leaders. Because all of a sudden we're doing everything, we're doing this, we're doing this, I'm vacuuming, I'm bad God, do you see what I'm doing? I'm not just preaching your word, but God, I'm sweeping the stage this week, Lord, and I'm doing this. And all of a sudden, am I earning God's love more? No, well, I was hoping for a yes, but no. You see, the more I do doesn't necessarily transfer to the more that God loves me. Let me share a simple truth to you today. If you want to walk away with one truth, this is, there's several of them today, but this is one that's a good one to walk away with. Is that, is that, is this. You can never earn God's love. God loves you because that's who God is. God is love. The prodigal son stepped away. We talked about the prodigal son a few weeks ago. The prodigal son stepped away from the father's love, but it doesn't mean that the father's love ever stopped loving his son. You can step away from God's love and his protection, but it doesn't mean that God's love ever stopped for, for you. He's always for you. He's, good. He's after you. He desires more from you. God's love is not because of you. It's because of who he is. And when you get that heart, so many times we think that it has something to do with me. No, 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 no. God's love has nothing to do with you. It's who he is. He is love. You see, so many times we get caught up in trying to earn God's love. What we really need to do is just accept God's love. It's already there. It's a free gift. You can't earn it. You just got to accept the love of God. Just like righteousness. You can't earn righteousness. It's a gift from Christ. And guess what? We got to accept it as a gift by faith. Our sin nature is prideful. Come on. Let's be honest. We all struggle with pride at times in our life. It's difficult for us to accept that we don't measure up. We want to feel, the older I get, it's harder for me to measure up on the golf course. Not that I ever measured up that great, but it's harder for me to measure up. Because I'm just known as a little more stiffer, a little slower swing, whatever the scenario is. I don't even get on the basketball court anymore. I don't even try it. I mean, it's just like, I'm not, I'm not even going to go out there anymore and do that. I'll do my stuff at home. I'll work out. But we're always, as human beings, we're always trying to measure up. See, we want to feel that somehow we have control over our destiny. That my success is based on who I am and what I do. And let me remind you that self-righteousness is a barricade to receiving God's righteousness. It's not about who you are and what you do. It's about who God is and what he does in through you. That's what makes all the difference. Jesus states it this way. In John chapter 15, Jesus' words Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That is something that we need to grab and put into our heart to recognize it's the blessings of God in our life. It's God working in and through us that's opening up the opportunities and new, new ideas and new visions, new thoughts and new things that we can, we can move forward with Christ. Not without Christ, but with Christ. Our faith must remain in Jesus. His work on the cross, his sacrifice for our sins because it paved the right way for, the right, for his righteousness to be in my life. It's not that we shouldn't do good works. 
But my righteousness is not based on my good works. My righteousness is based on Jesus, and that is a gift. The second thought that I want to share from this parable is this. Comparison deceives us from reality. Comparison will either lead you, to, lead you to arrogance or it will lead you to discouragement. In this par- parable, it leads us to arrogance because, because of pride. It's a, it's a pride of the Pharisee. It's leading us into the arrogance idea. It's the whole idea of comparison. Comparison stimulated by pride will falsely diminish the value of others. The purpose is to make us feel better about our inadequacies. It's to make us feel superior. I believe comparison is always based on, the, on a fear perspective. It's based on insecurities. We see it all the time happen in our lives where all of a sudden we see this competition. Why is this guy getting so heated? Why is he getting so heated with me? Why is he doing this? It's he's comparing himself to you or you are comparing yourself to him. And what happens all of a sudden we get in this competition because we need to fulfill these insecurities in our life, these needs in our life that we have control over something. We compare because we don't feel like we are measuring up. Therefore, if we can bring someone else down, that naturally brings me up. It doesn't. That's a lie from the devil. When, when you buy into that lie to think, man, it's, it's that old crab mentality. I don't know if you ever had crabs. We used to live in Seattle. And people would put, you could put crabs in a pot, you know, like a five-gallon uh, bucket. And you could put the crabs in there. And you never have to worry about the crab getting out. You could put 10, 12 crabs in there. Why don't, why don't they get out? Because as soon as one gets too ready, he gets a claw over there and starts to escape, the, the crab down below will grab them and yank them down. It's true. It happens. They won't, nope, you're coming back down. That's what we have a tendency to do when we do in comparison. We're always yanking others down. And we think somehow that's going to lift us up. It doesn't. It doesn't. We should encourage one another and lift one another up. We should pray for one another. Jesus, look at the prayer again for the Pharisee. I thank you, God, that I am not like those cheaters and sinners and adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there. Yanking them down to make, catch this thought. I want you to catch this. I want, grab this. The Pharisee was basing his righteousness on the faults of others. It was false righteousness. In the court of law, it would have no value to the judge. Can you imagine going into court because all of a sudden you're charged for a felony of some sort? Let's say you cheated on your taxes and you're getting called in court. So you walk into the judge, and you have to plead your case. Now, the only defense that you have, judge, you see, this is what took place, but here's the scenario. Do you see, do you see all the wicked people, and, and that person over there, he's so bad, and I know that person, you know what, he, he cheated on his wife. Can you imagine what the judge would look at? He says, I don't care about the faults of others. I am judging your case here today. You see, the Pharisee was trying to lift himself up by looking at the faults of other people. Jesus doesn't want you to be concerned about the faults of others. He wants you to be concerned about your faults. In fact, Jesus states it this way in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 3. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. I love that scripture. Try to remember it, Thomas. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? 
I love Jesus' words. They're pretty simple, pretty straightforward. The Pharisee in this parable is comparing himself by judging the actions of others. Comparing ourselves to, de- to others deceives us from reality. It can deceive you from the potential that God has for your life. I see this t- take place all the time. When people compare themselves to someone else, either, guess what, it's going to hold them back from what God has, or it's going to raise them up to a level where God can't use them anymore. Because all of a sudden, in their eyes, they can become haughty, they become prideful. Secondly, Comparison stimulated by pride will falsely promote self through works. Happens all the time. After the Pharisee was done judging others, uh, he then began to tell God about his wonderful deeds, about all the wonderful things that he did. Lord, do you know that I, I fast twice a week? Not once, I fast twice a week. Lord, do you know that I pay 10% of all my income to the church? Lord, do you know that I help out in the nursery, God? Do you realize what I do in the nursery every single week? God, do you know, do you know Lord, I wake up early in the morning on Sunday mornings and I come to church so I can start practicing music, so I can worship. Lord, do you see all the things that I do? See, the Pharisee is allowing his work to deceive him from the reality of, of his sins. And here's the thing. It's not that we shouldn't do good works. Man, in fact, James talks about, man, I'll show you my faith by my works. I mean, there, there's, 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 when, if we have our faith in Jesus Christ, there's a natural response in us that should all of a sudden promote good works where we're helping the poor, where we're serving in different areas. Where but those works should never become our righteousness. And that's where so many times what happens in our lives, we start allowing our works to become our faith or our righteousness. And this is what took place in the Pharisees. Our righteousness is 100% dependent upon our faith in Jesus Christ and that alone. Nothing else. The Bible says there is no one righteous, not even one. Only Jesus Christ. Jesus is ushering in a new plan for redemption. But the Pharisees will never be able to to see this new opportunity because they were stuck in their old thinking in their own ways. The Apostle Paul writes it this way in Romans chapter 10, verse 3. He says, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they were catch that, they were establishing their own righteousness. They did not submit to God's righteousness. You see how self, self, this whole idea of self-righteousness deceives us from receiving the righteousness of God. Anybody following along with me today? Okay, can you give me a big amen real quick? Woo, good, okay, I just need to make sure you're with me. The Pharisee had great confidence in himself but not in God. His pride, because if you read through his whole prayer, it was never really pointed to God at all. It was just pointed to himself. His pride blinded him from seeing the truth. And this is the great lesson that we can take away from this parable. Pride will rob us of God's plan for our life because pride keeps us from submitting to God's will. This has happened in my life several times, probably more times than I'd like to admit. Where all of a sudden my own personal will gets in the way of what God wants me to do. Now, as I grow in Christ, I'm learning. I hear you, Lord. I hear you, Lord. And I start taking the right direction because, God, I know, I know if I go my way, I've already experienced that before. I'm not going to do that again today. And I'm going to keep on walking. We learn. We start to grow in Christ. We start to understand that God is for us, not against us. And we start putting our trust in him. 
And we have to allow that to take place in our life. Because if, if we don't, if we allow self-righteousness or pride to come into our life, it will continue to rob us from what God wants to do in and through us. You will just stay still and nothing takes place. Like from the time you're, you're a teenager to the time you're old, nothing's changed in your life. You haven't grown a bit. Because all of a sudden you just become an stalemate. You just accepted what, what your own righteousness is instead of going after Christ. This leads us to the main takeaway from this parable that I want to share with you today. And that is this. Humility opens the pathway to righteousness. The tax collector approached God with a completely different attitude. There was no pride. Only shame and sorrow for his sins. It says that he beat his chest. He didn't even lift his head up towards heaven. He was so ashamed for his sin and he cried out to the Lord, Have mercy on me, a sinner. It was his humility that opened the pathway to find forgiveness and the righteousness of Christ. Years ago, Charles Swindoll uh, wrote a message on attitude. I encourage you to read it. You can just Google Charles Swindoll, S-W-I-N-D-O-L-L, and put attitude on there. It's a, it's a great statement that he wrote about attitude. In fact, it's in my office. It's probably been there for 25 years. I read it because I think we all struggle with attitude. And I want to have a good attitude through life. This week, my attitude was checked, my ch- challenged. And I got to tell you, I was, I was relatively pleased. Let, let me just give you practic, practicality of things. Things that we were doing some remodeling at the house, things were not going as, as what I was expecting, what I was hopefully, hoping to do. My old self could go and just lose it and move forward. But you know what? I, I, I heard the Spirit of God just speak, you need to be calm. I'll take care of this. You just need to relax. Trust me. And, I, and I'm just telling you, as a pastor, we still struggle, okay? So I'm listening and saying, well, okay, you know what? I hear you, Lord. Because it's, it's, what happens is money gets in our way. This costs me more money than it's going to do. And all of a sudden it starts, start, I said, no, Lord, I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to follow you. You know what? Everything's working out fine. Amen. Everything's working out fine. Yes. And guess what? I'm a much more peaceful person today. And I was able to actually prepare a message today because I didn't allow my attitude to all of a sudden to go a whole other direction. But listen to this statement, because I, I really believe that it's applicable to our parable today. I'm just going to read you the first line that he wrote and the second line. This is Charles Swindoll. He says, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on my life. I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% on how I react to it. Jesus states it this way in his message. Remember last week I talked about the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus sat on the side of the mountain and he just started to teach. And he began that whole sermon, what's called the Beatitudes, the blessings of God. And Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, humility, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Humility opens the pathway to the kingdom of heaven. But wait, there's more. Kind of like that infomercial, late night at TV. If you buy it today, there's more, there's more. Two verses down, Matthew 5, 3. Now we're going to Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Listen to these words. Blessed are the meek, humility, humbleness, for they will inherit the earth. Again, it's humility that opens the pathway. But this time, it doesn't just open up the pathway to the kingdom of heaven. It's actually opening up the pathway here on earth. It's finding a grace and a happiness to enjoy our life here on earth because we have our trust and our confidence in Jesus Christ. What a beautiful truth to discover that our humility 
or our attitude will not only change the direction of our eternity, but it can also impact our current time here on earth. I experienced it this week. I could have went one direction. Thank God I didn't. Thank God that the Spirit of God spoke and said, hey, wake up, you dummy. Don't do what you think you want, think you should do. Listen to me. And I woke up, and guess what? I'm a happy person today. And even if circumstances went bad, I still going to be a happy person today. I need to allow the joy of the Lord to fill my heart and my soul, and you need to allow the joy of the Lord to be part of your strength. There are many things in life that we have no control over. We don't have control over a lot of the circumstances in life. But the one thing that we do have control over is our attitude. We do have control over our attitude. The Pharisees' attitude was filled with this pride and this arrogance, and it made no room for God. The tax collector's attitude was filled with humility, and God favors the humble. God gives grace to the humble, it says in Scripture. Let me close with a, a couple final statements or thoughts in which Jesus shares at the end of this parable. It was a sinner, the, 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 the Pharisee, or it was a sinner, the tax collector, not the one who thought he was a saint, who was the Pharisee, that left justified before God. And I was thinking about this whole thought because when Jesus was sharing this parable, because sometimes we just hear the words and we don't understand the setting or the environment that Jesus was sharing this parable in. When he started sharing this parable, I'm sure the Pharisees that would have been around there was thinking in their mind that the Pharisee was the righteous one. It was the Pharisee who gave the 10% and, and did and fasted twice a week and all the wonderful. He's the righteous one, not the tax collector, because we all hate the tax collector because he just keeps extorting money from all of us. But from this parable, Jesus assures them that they would be wrong if they thought that. Because God judges not from the appearance, but God judges from the heart. Look at the last sentence in the parable of verse 14. It says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Notice that the punishment for the self-righteous will be humility. According to Jesus, we will answer for our pride. We will. There will be a time of judgment where we have to answer for our pride. And the, the greatest humility a person could ever experience is the denial of entering into the kingdom of heaven. When you get to those times, you know, we have all these jokes about the pearly gates. But there will be a time where we'll meet Jesus face to face. That will be the court date that we have to say, is it under my righteousness or is it under Christ's righteousness? And then notice the reward for the humble. It's the exact opposite. It's interesting how God puts us together. For the humble, they will be exalted because they've shown humility upon this earth. And the greatest exaltation is entering into the kingdom of heaven. C.S. Lewis makes a statement that's really powerful regarding humility versus pride. I want to read this to you today. Listen to the words. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. Whose will are you willing to, put, to bank on? Is it your will or is it God's will? Let's be on the right side of eternity. Let's remain humble before God. It's never too late to enter into his wonderful grace and into his righteousness. It's never too late. I don't, I, I don't know about you, but I am grateful for the words of Jesus, for the words that Jesus said, and the truth behind his words. It gives us direction. 
It's life-changing to each and every one of us. It kind of reminds me of, I don't know if you have a caring grandma or a caring grandpa in your life, but when you were little, and you know, you could be having a bad day as a grandchild, and all of a sudden grandpa or grandma come and they just share these, just this powerful words into your life, and so loving and so kind that it just changed the perspective of where you're heading because of the words that they shared. That's the words of Jesus. Peter states it this way. When Jesus asked the question, he asked this question to his disciples, are you going to leave me as well? And Jesus asked these questions when he was getting ready to face the cross during his crucifixion. And he had the 12 disciples, but he also had other disciples that, were, that he was impacting. He was, he was a mentor to a lot of people. And he says, a lot of people were leaving him during this time. He says, are you going to leave me as well? That's what he asked his 12 disciples. And you, whatever you want to, however you want to judge Peter, listen to Peter's words, because I believe they're so powerful. In John chapter 6, verse 68, Peter replies these words, Lord, to whom would I go? To whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. Today, I challenge each and every one of us. In this parable, the Pharisee and the tax collector, let's be the tax collector in the sense of humility where we come before God. God, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And Lord, I choose you today. I choose to follow after you. And Lord God, I submit my will to your will in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for your word today. I thank you that your word is powerful. It's impactful. It's life-changing. I pray that today's words, Lord, were just not words on a piece of paper, but God, they would be words that would come to life for each and every one of us. Whatever our struggles would be, Lord God, if it, if it has to do with selfishness, if it has to do with pride, if it has to do, Lord God, with comparison, whatever it might be, Lord, we know those things are not of you. That, Lord God, that you want us to follow after you. So, Lord God, I pray that our will, Lord God, would be broken before you so that we could, Lord God, accept your will for our life in every area of our life today. With eyes closed and head bowed for just a moment today. If you're here and you never have understood the righteousness of Christ, the love that God has for you, and, and you've been struggling in these areas of life of just self-righteousness and pride and comparison, and you got caught up, it's easy to get caught up on all that kind of stuff. I want to challenge you today. And I don't need hands raised. I don't need any. I, you know in your heart if it's been a struggle for you. And I want to say a prayer. If you're watching us online, if this is an area that you just all of a sudden let yourself get out of control and all of a sudden you just see yourself judging people in a way that you shouldn't judge people and you've gotten a lot of anger issues coming on because you think everybody's against you and no one's for you, I've got to tell you right now, God is for you. You just have to submit your will. But if that's you and you just say, Pastor Tom, I need help. I need this broken off my life. I want to say a prayer with you, and I just want you to agree in your heart with me right now. Lord Jesus, you know each and every person, the Lord God, that may be struggling. We all struggle. At some time in our life, we all struggle. If it's not today, tomorrow, Lord God, I pray for every person that's maybe struggling in this area where they're more dependent upon themselves than upon you. God, that you would break us in a, in a, in a, in a loving way, in a caring way. Break us down in such a way that we can see your goodness, your grace, your righteousness, your love. Help us, Lord God, to be humbled before you in a way, Lord God, that we can receive all that you have for us. Lord, I pray a blessing over every person here today in Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening to the South Coast Christian Podcast. We appreciate those who give on a regular basis to South Coast. 
because through your giving, we are able to provide these resources. For more information about South Coast, including service times and ways to give, please visit southcoastchristian.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. Thanks again, and may this week be filled with new opportunities where you can receive and share God's love.